In his book, Traveling Light, author Eugene Peterson does write these words. For all of our elaborate and expensive fantasies, the actual lives that most people live are filled with impotence, boredom, obscurity, and hassle. Living in the land of the free has not made us free, he says. We're a nation of addicts and complainers. This book was published in 1988, 29 years ago. So as the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, there's nothing new under the sun. If there's two realities that have been part of the human condition since the beginning of time, and I think will continue to be, it's this. Each of us has been created in, with a longing and a desire for God. And to the degree that we connect that desire in relationship with God, we experience what we understand to be the fullness of life, the abundant life. But to the degree we connect that desire and longing with God, substitutes, attachments, or idolatry, as the Scripture would say, or addiction, we find that we go in a different direction. Now, it's been said, and I believe it, the truth is we're all prone to addiction. We're prone to attaching our souls and our identities and and, and our lives to experiences and substances that can't love us or will not love us the same way God loves us. We're all prone to an idolatry of the soul that replaces God with substances, experiences, and even relationships. It's like the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, to attach our souls to addiction, whatever we may attach it to, is to leave the God we love and the God who loves us. It's interesting, by the way, the word attach. If you want to do a little bit of a a background check on that word, it actually comes from a French word meaning hook, as if you have a hook that you put your coat on. So think about that which hooks us. When we say people are hooked, that's actually a very appropriate term to use. Now, maybe it's our lack of trust in the generosity of God. In our scripture text from Luke this morning, we hear Jesus' words, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In other words, it's God's delight. It is God's joy. It is God's good pleasure to give us all the grace and goodness and provision the kingdom of God offers. And when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of the rule and the reign of God, God's presence in the world and in charge of all things. It's this God who delights in meeting all of our needs for security, for affection, for meaning, for purpose and aliveness. And to connect these deep longings, to attach them to anything but God, is to realize that we have substituted God and to attach them to God or to connect with God is to realize that all we need is God. This is why I believe Jesus says to the disciples in verse 33, sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves, do not wear out, and uh, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near or no moth destroys. In other words, Detach your hearts and souls from the stuff that we use to define us and to keep us seemingly secure, whether it's possessions, whether it's money, whether it's substances, whether it's titles. Let go of these God substitutes that we've sought security in, that we've sought comfort in, that we've entrusted our life to. One author, Gerald May, puts it this way, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are full of too full to receive them. If our hands are full, they're full of the things to which we're addicted. And not only our hands, but our hearts and our minds and our attention are clogged with addiction. 
and our addictions filled up the spaces within us, spaces where grace might flow. In the next verse, Jesus describes it this way, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we treasure, whatever we covet, whatever we attach ourselves to, whatever we give our best energies to, that is where we will find our heart. And in biblical terms, it's the heart that makes up the essence of who we are, of who we become, our heart, our lives. They end up being shaped and controlled by the things which our heart treasures, or to put it another way, Our addictions and our attachments end up controlling our lives. They become the very thing we live for, sometimes the very thing we will die for. But most of the time, it's what we become enslaved to, and we just adapt and adjust our lives to maintain the attachment and feed the addiction. Now, you may be thinking, but I'm not an addict. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't take drugs of any kind. But this is the whole point It's more than just substances. Richard Rohr is an author that has written extensively on this, and this is what he says. It is a spiritual disease. It is a disease of the soul. And in fact, I love or I like that word disease the way he puts it. If you just take that word disease and put a hyphen in it, I think you'll find the source of our susceptibility. In other words, it's often our dis-ease that makes us vulnerable when we're not at ease with our identity or we're not at ease with our place in the world or we're not at ease with life and its challenges and stresses or maybe we're not at ease with our sense of self or we're not at ease with God's grace and love for us or we're not at ease with the very wounded parts of ourselves and the pain we have experienced or we're not at ease in a world which seems to continually dispense fear and anxiety or we're not even at ease with our feelings and emotions, and sometimes we're just not at ease with our grief and our sadness. And so then addiction becomes our chosen way to put ourselves at ease. It's our way of comforting ourselves. It's the way we numb the pain in ourselves. And Richard Rohr goes on to describe it this way. Addicts develop a love and trust relationship, and that's key, a love and trust relationship with a substance or a compulsion of some kind which becomes their primary emotional relationship with life itself. This is a God who cannot save. It is momentary intensity passing for the intimacy they really want, and it is quickly over. Those are the key phrases. This love and trust relationship can be with anything or anyone, as he says, substance or compulsion. Now, we look at the usuals, drugs and alcohol, and these are very real, and these are very destructive, and these are very problematic And as someone has just said here a few moments ago, we need to surround ourselves and surround friends and family with those who struggle with that with immense love and grace and immense mercy. And I will say this categorically. One of the proudest moments I've had here at Deep River Friends Meeting is when we allowed our space to be used for Alcoholics Anonymous, where people could find help and people could find healing and people could find support. But we look at those, but other compulsions can often substitute as our primary emotional relationship. For example, there's the workaholic who seeks comfort, relief, and emotional strokes through achievement and showing how productive they are and often escaping the intimacy of real relationships. There's the shopaholic who uses the rush of a new purchase, be it clothes, books, or a new car, 
to distract them from the pain or the emptiness or the stressors of life. And it doesn't have to be anything big. I see you smiling, Glenn. I didn't call you out. (laughs) But I know that feeling when I'm stressed, when I'm a little bit out of sorts, when things are just kind of getting over my head. I'm thinking, boy, what a good book wouldn't do right now just to numb my pain. So I go to get my fix, go to Barnes & Nobles, and I walk around. And this is going to sound kind of crazy, but even at my worst moment, I'll look at a book and I'll open it up and I'll see a word there, and somehow my rationalization goes, well, God wanted me to buy this book because this is the word I've been thinking about. (laughs) And who am I to deny the will of God? Here's my debit, Linda. I'm just being very honest with you folks. Rationalization is the one gateway into that downward spiral of attachments. There's a person who's addicted to approval, and they compulsively live their life seeking the validation and approval of others. And when they feel it's missing, they're consumed with finding out why folks don't like them. And they keep working harder and harder at getting their approval, particularly significant people in their life. Let's go to a little bit darker side. There's the person addicted to pornography, seeking this false intimacy through images and avoiding the real kind of intimacy that comes with being in healthy and life-giving relationships. I once heard a statistic years ago that said if you, took, if you took all the major league sports combined, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and all that, if you combined the total amount of revenue that those took in, they did not even put a dent in the amount of revenue of online pornography. It's that prevalent. And there's the person who becomes attached and addicted to relationships. They never really feel any intimacy or connection. They simply use the relationship to numb the loneliness and their fear of abandonment. And as Gerald May once wrote, again, he adds this, Once addiction takes hold, the loved one becomes an object to which we are bound. The object of addiction may be anything, a person, a place, a substance, a behavior, a belief. We come to expect gratification from this object, and we want more and more and more of it. And sooner or later, we realize that we have not fallen. We have not only fallen for this thing, we are in bondage to it. It has become our master, and we are its slave. Or as Jesus puts it, it's become our ultimate treasure. Now, I know this to be true because I am, and I'm not being flippant here, so please don't misunderstand, I am a recovering approval addict. That's how I see myself. Because of my inward hunger for validation and approval, and often early on in my life, this shaky sense of identity, I'd go looking for a hit of validation and approval. It wasn't enough just to receive a word of appreciation or encouragement. I would seek it out. I'd seek it out through working harder. I'd seek it out trying to be more perfect. I'd seek seek it out figuring out how to live up to people's expectations and pleasing people and never being able to say no but saying yes and hoping that my involvement would give me some kind of recognition my soul hungered for. I I would seek it out, and I would never share my convictions because if I shared my convictions, I might be wrong or I might upset somebody, and I wasn't going to do that. And I look back on my my life... (laughs) even in my middle school years and my high school years, and I know this comes as a total surprise to you, but I would seek it out by being the class clown. Yeah, see, I knew that would be a surprise to you. I had my fair share of detentions and my fair share of, Mr. Wagner, um, would you like to keep your mouth shut? Because I could never keep my mouth shut. But I found one way to get validation and approval was to send out a zinger I could get laughs for. It became somewhat of an addictive process. 
But in the past few years, through this intentional soul work and sometimes hard, loving friends and family and very wise spiritual directors and an occasional visit to a counselor and the grace of God, I have been able, I have been able day by day to rebuild a core that's at home with who I am and seeks less and less the approval of others as a validation of my existence. I still have my moments and relapses. I have my moments where the hole in my soul becomes this huge approval vacuum, seeking to suck in all the recognition, recognition it can. But once you start down that road to recovery, you know your triggers, and I know my triggers, and I know what pushes my buttons. In fact, I often use what some recovery groups call the HALT method, H-A-L-T. It's an acronym that describes the moments when we're most susceptible to our addictions and our attachments when we are hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, and when we're tired. When I'm hungry for recognition, angry at others due to feeling rejected or invalidated, when I'm feeling lonely or physically and emotionally tired, I look for a hit of approval. And through the grace of God, I'm more able to recognize those moments or realize I'm in a danger zone and I need to tend to my soul. I don't think you're ever going to get it perfect. The key is to be aware The key is to know ourselves so well we know where we are and where we stand in that moment and when we need help and when we need to take a hard look ourselves. Let me put it back up. Not a hard, a gracious look. A merciful look. So here's what I want to offer this morning as we close. First, using our text as a framework, I want to offer these questions as a way to think about our attachments. First, do you see yourself as one God takes pleasure in and delights in? That's the starting point. In other words, do you see yourself as a recipient of all the love, grace, mercy, abundance, joy, contentment, and peace that God wants to give? Because Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, all the goodness that God possesses and is, God wants to give us. All the validation, all the acceptance, all the affirmation we need is in God's love for us. As one of these writers put it, addiction is a spiritual disease, and this dis-ease begins in our soul, the place where we encounter God. It's all that our soul needs, God desires to give us in God's grace. Healing for our woundedness, comfort for our grief, relief for our pain, presence for our loneliness, purpose and meaning for our boredom, and peace for fears and anxiousness. In other words, rather than looking for a substitute to numb it, God wants to give us all that we need. The second question is, what do you need to let go of in order to receive what God can offer you? As Gerald May wrote, I read earlier, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If our hands are full, they are full of things to which we are addicted. So what are your hands full of? What are you hanging on to that you think will bring you what you need, but you ultimately discover it's nothing but an empty promise? Maybe you need to let go of past regrets, failures. Maybe it means letting go of a relationship. Sometimes we have to let go of a personal possession that possesses us. And sometimes we got to let go of outcomes because sometimes we're addicted to being in control and we have to shape and manage everyone's life and all the outcomes. And sometimes, as painful as it is, we need to let go of the pursuit of receiving something from someone we are never going to ultimately get, be it approval or recognition. And maybe, yes, maybe it's a substance. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. We don't need to cite the statistics here. It's rampant. It's an epidemic. And maybe that's what we need to let go of. In all of this, when we let go, we create a space for God's grace and power to take residence. 
and God builds God's home in us. And finally, I would add this. What have you given your heart to, and is that where you want to live? What have you given your heart to, and is that really where you want to live? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So to whom or what have you given your heart to? Does it love you as much as God loves you? Does it value you as much as God values you? Is it as interested in your well-being as God is? And the first place we can begin is to treasure ourselves as much as God treasures us. And I think that is so key. In doing this, we begin to see ourselves as worthy recipients of all the good God wants to give us, all the wholeness God wants to give us. We begin to see the good in ourselves and realize the good in us far outweighs the bad. And part of what I know to be true of addictions and attachments is one of the first seeds, the places that a lot of it starts from, is places of self-condemnation and lack of self-worth. If I don't like or love or respect myself well enough, well, it just doesn't really matter. I'll just destroy myself. Do I see myself and the good in myself, the good that far outweighs the bad, the same kind of good that God sees? If we see that good, we join with God's grace in making us whole. And from that place, we begin to treasure all that is good and right and beautiful in this world. And our hearts find a home in all that is good and right and beautiful. And when our hearts are in the right place, we no longer go looking for substitutes. We no longer indulge in the idols. We simply want the real thing, which is God's love and God's grace. I want to close with just a a verse from Paul. Romans chapter 8. On this day of Pentecost, Paul writes this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'll stop right there. That's the key, is allowing myself to be weak, is allowing myself to be open, is allowing myself to be vulnerable. I don't have to show up to the Spirit strong, and I have my act together. In my weakness, the Spirit helps. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And sometimes I think those sighs are our groaning, is our pain, is our anguish. Sometimes it's our sadness. Sometimes it's our brokenness. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, on this day of Pentecost, Spirit is present to help us in our very weaknesses to whatever degree they may be in our life, to whatever our attachments may be, to whatever our addictions may be, to whatever our substitutes may be, I believe it, that God wants to help us in those places so we can live as abundantly and joyfully and peacefully and contentedly as God desires us to live.